Leadership to Wealth. In today's show, I know every time we're always talking about being a leader and learning from leaders. And well, today's show, we've got a man who was originally trained in the military. He was uh, in the U.S. Army and um, a captain. And he moved on to working with many organizations talking about leadership and what it means to be a leader, what it means to be an executive and, and how to really improve, uh, you know, your, your connection with your team. His name is Doug Thorpe. And I really want to encourage you to listen up to his interview today because he has taken on a challenge to help 10,000 managers, leaders improve their leadership style. And I really want to be a part of that. And so uh, I hope you guys listen up. If you can see yourself there, if you want to be a leader, if you want to grow in your current leadership, today's show, Doug Thorpe. Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. So glad to have you with us. Oh, you bet, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Doug, you've done a lot of stuff in your life. You've, But before we get into a lot of that stuff, obviously your background really started in uh, the military uh, right. as an army and, you know, you uh, retired as an army captain. But just give us a just like a quick blitz of where you're from uh, and then, you know, what got you, what led you into the army and then Man, you, you like I said, you've been into so many different spaces. We we got to jump into all of that. I just can't keep a job. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Neil. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I I was in the military out of college, but I grew up in San Antonio. I'm native Texan. Um, being in San Antonio as a young man, I, uh, there were five military bases there at the time. You, you kind of couldn't throw a rock without hitting those service members. So, uh, it was sort of a natural, um, I got motivated and excited about doing it. Uh, got commissioned in college and went in, into service and then, um, out of service, I had the good fortune of, uh, being hired by, what at the time was called Texas Commerce Bank. It's a bit of a legendary banking story in the state of Texas. Um, it, it was at the time chaired by a guy named Ben Love, and he too is a business legend. He's, he's now deceased. But I didn't know at the time. I was a little bit young and stupid and uh, didn't have any idea what I was being exposed to in terms of leadership development and executive management practice that was rock solid. And, um, you know, being able to learn in that laboratory, I, I really, it, it catapulted the fundamental understanding of, of leadership concepts that I'd gotten out of all my military training and really turned it into a, a focus on, on business mm. and, uh, spent 20 years with the bank before, uh, uh, launching out on my own with my own entrepreneurial ideas. Yeah. And any, uh, just out of curiosity, any brothers and sisters? Nope. Uh, part, part of my story is I'm an only child, uh, uh, the product of a hardworking single mom. She was the first entrepreneur I ever know or, or ever met and got to know. And uh, I watched her and her uh, struggles and success as an entrepreneur. And that kind of lit the fire in me that uh, is what kind of finally came to the front after the, the Army and the bank career. Wow. Okay, so I have to let out a little secret here. I um, and I share with people that I that I used to work for the federal government here in Canada, and um, you know I worked with uh, with the tax service, uh, and I've worked with corrections as well. But a good chunk of my time was I actually worked with the military as a civilian. And it, what was interesting is that I actually can see now because I ended up moving into a formation that was I was actually with the military and my boss was it was the next military chief and uh chief petty officer first class dave crocker thank you uh and i'm gonna share that a lot of my lessons a lot of my habits that i have in business i develop from that one man and what he taught me and uh it just the the ability to not worry about tomorrow get move the yardstick today Right, you're moving the yardstick, and uh, and that's made all the difference. And even this podcast, I should really give a shout out to him because it was you don't have to be perfect; you just got to move the yardstick every day. And so, 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, what you share with us about your time in the military. And, uh, you know, definitely thank you for, even though I'm in Canada, thank you for your service because. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> no, appreciate you know, that. Happy. It, it, happy it takes there. someone to be willing to uh, stand up for others. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, so now you took that and you came out and you got into business. And now I really want to hear about that journey. But just before we came on air, you just dropped a bomb on me <laughs> <laughs> that you have a challenge for 2022. So guys, listeners, if you, if you're, we got to hear this challenge, I'm sure you're like, okay, we don't even know much about Doug yet, but you got to hear this challenge that he is taking on. And uh, this is definitely a military mindset. Doug, <laughs> what is this challenge that you've got? for 2022 challenge that's come together is I've, I've challenged my firm and, and my network here locally to help me influence 10,000 people who are either company owners or managers to become a better boss in 2022. Wow. It's all, it's all based on the statement and HR, HR people know this by heart, but the quote is, People join companies, but they quit bosses. And uh, there, there are a lot of factors that, that led me to this decision, but uh, I think it's time we hit it head on. Uh, people are tired of being abused in toxic cultures that bad bosses create. And the pandemic has shown us that people are just fed up with it and they're quitting by the thousands. They're yeah. quitting those toxic cultures and those bad bosses. And uh, if you've got that responsibility right now, you can do something different. Wow. Okay. 10,000 is a significant number to to be able to break. You've only got 12 months in a year. So <laughs> to, to reach 10,000 bosses, you've really got to uh, you know be able to impact a lot of people on an ongoing basis. Uh, obviously doubling, tripling, quadrupling up the number of people that you that you're helping and teaching. But the right. question I want to ask is, how do you get to that in terms of has this is this something that has just historically gone under the radar? Nobody nobody's ever called out bosses. Or are we are we saying that there has been some sort of shift that we're identifying now uh, bosses that are, you know, managers that people don't want to work with? What, what's really happening there? Well, I think the reality is it's been around for a long time. I, I, I write and I talk about this a lot. If, if you think about it, at, at least in terms of the Western business world, as I know it, when you think on a global scale, we have a weird tradition of looking at our company. And if we have a team lead position or a supervisor job come open, what do we do? We hire the best producer that we hire the person that's doing the most already at work, maybe the best salesman, the best producer, the best administrator, the best technician, the best technologist, whatever. We make them the team lead. And the that's first right. thing we do is we screw up our best producer. Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and yet that person takes on that mantle and they, by trial and error, they figure out how to become a manager and seldom it's it's the rare organization that immediately starts talking about leadership but they are talking about management they're talking about process and budgets and they're pounding on this person to produce well that starts a very bad transition of only worrying about how to crack the whip and get the numbers out and it's only of the very enlightened person that says there's more to this if i can influence my people in a better way i'm going to get more production and yeah. that's the person that can possibly turn their attention to be how to become a better leader and um when I talk to most of my one-on-one -on -one clients, I immediately ask the question, do you think there's a difference between management and leadership? Most everybody in the modern era says, yes, of course. And then we start a dialogue about, well, what is it? All the answers I get are somewhat all over the board, but it generally boils down to a simple phrase. Management is about process and leadership is about people. Real simple. Right. And people have made careers out of managing a process, you know, turning yeah. the numbers, hitting budget 
producing volume. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But oftentimes, when you focus on those people and their track record, there's a lot of collateral damage. There's a lot of broken lives in their wake. People that are that left very frustrated, very burned out, very uh, disenchanted by the company because they had the experience with that one bad manager. Right. So interestingly, because I worked for the federal government and I started with human resources, uh, working for tax uh, here in Canada, and one of the things that we recognized and was that we were always hiring the best auditor to then be the manager. And we would have nothing but problems because that best auditor clearly was not the best at dealing with the individuals. He was great with numbers. And we would run into that over and over again. Yep. And then they started to transition that and they started realizing, hey, we need people with better skills to be people skills to be people able to skills. handle yep. the other. Right. Uh, you know, and, um, That's it. and it was, it was back to what you're sharing here going when I got into the, with the military and, and this chief petty officer who had, who really showed me this drastic difference of looking for the person and looking at their skills. And because he had spent a 30 year career of being with the men and going, who are the, who are these men and who, what can they do? And, you know, who should move up the and who's happy where they are. And so uh, I'm you're what you're saying is resonating with me completely. <laughs> and I'm sure there's somebody right now is going, yes, please talk to my boss. Um, so, OK, so what is what does this toxicity, you know, this manager who probably doesn't even know he's a manager, probably thinks he's a leader um, or she. They just think, hey, this is my job. What is that? What's the impact of that on the uh, on the employees below them? Well, there there's so many different dimensions to this. And uh, a lot there, there, there are many things that kind of appear as symptoms of. Yeah. Being a bad manager, there, there are issues with trust. Uh, trust happens to be a, a very favorite topic of mine. I, uh, with, a, with a colleague last year, he and I together co-authored a book about building trust at work. And uh, trust is a big issue. And the, mm. the, the bad manager has a way of totally eroding trust. They, they pit people against each other. They um, share secrets that they shouldn't be sharing, you know, uh, and, and, if if I'm an employee and I walk into my boss's office and he starts talking about Sally, one of my peers, and, uh, you know, I have to question, well, my gosh, what are you saying about me behind my back? Mm, you know, yeah. and, and so the trust just totally gets destroyed. And without trust, people hold back. They're, they're going to show up to work and only agree to do the bare minimum to keep their paycheck coming. They're, they're not going to really volunteer to, to go the extra mile. And um, that's really the fundamental premise of our book that we released last year, Trust at Work, is that as a leader, you can do more and be very intentional about building trust in the, in the workplace. Mm -hmm. When you build trust, people are willing to invest their discretionary effort to go that extra mile. And um, that's one big dimension of it. Um, there are other things that I've seen over the years. I, I once worked for a guy that was my all time worst boss and there were, he was a department head and there were three of us that were unit heads reporting to him. Yeah. The three of us at the peer level, we realized that we were never going to get our annual review to score any higher than he had been scored. And, yeah. um, that, that put us in a real prohibitive position for a couple of years that, that we had to report to him until the company finally saw fit to move him out position he was in. Um, but one could argue the three of us, we never really recovered from that haircut we took on our rating because ratings meant money and it, yeah. it meant level of bonus and it, it meant all those things. And to put it in common terms, if he was only getting graded a C by his bosses, that's what we got graded. Right. And it didn't matter wow. what we did. We we could have conquered the world and we were not going to get anything better than a C. Right. 
Right. Oh my goodness. Uh, you, you know, it's interesting. I, I remember having a boss that, uh, their only, the only thing they had in their, tool, in their toolbox, I'm going to call was a hammer and, uh, every problem, you know, they, and, and I was their problem. So every time it was, it was a hammer to the head. And I remember I was only in that position for a week. And at the end of the week, I was like, I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going back. Uh, this is not the job for me. And, uh, well, they actually <laughs> switched everything around. I got yeah. it. I, I reported to someone else and I ended up doing nine years. I worked nine years there after that. But it, so I, I'm you're again, you're still resonating with everything you're saying. And I think people can either see themselves in one space or the other is what you're creating for us. Is, hey, yeah, I've got a boss like that. Or uh, I'm hoping that some bosses out there, some managers are out there are starting to hear what you're talking about and maybe seeing themselves. Um, but that's got to be a little, because you want to make a difference with the managers. How do you help them to even see that this is, to look in the mirror and see, oh, this is me that he's talking about? Well, a great question. And, and the whole issue is this, at least is the way I look at it. Leadership is a very broad, broad. You have to find 10,000 of them. Well, and, and let's just boil it down to one guy. If I'm if I'm okay. coaching you about your leadership, so yeah. um, here's the challenge: uh, you can go to Google, and there's something like sixty thousand books about leadership that have been published. Yeah. Yeah. So, who do you talk to, and and what framework do you adopt? My argument is, it, in in some respects, it doesn't matter which one you pick; just pick one. Create for yourself a framework of leadership principles that you want to live by. Mm -hmm. And when I ask people to start the process of sort of envisioning, painting a picture of the leader they want to be, we talk about attributes like trust, integrity, um, reliability, uh, motivation, communication, uh, relationship. And, and, you go to those 60,000 books on leadership and you're going to find checklists of here's all the attributes that make a good leader. Well, a lot of them obviously overlap and you can, you can pick your own list of attributes that you value. And one of the, I don't, I guess I'd call it a secret, but inevitably if I ask somebody, name me five people that you know about either in history or current or sports or politics or whatever, people you admire for some attribute of leadership, who are they and what is the attribute? And you know, I'll get names like Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill or down here in the States, Nick Saban, the football coach, you know, I'll get those kind of answers and you start asking, okay, so what attribute, what is it about them? And we'll talk about those attributes. And you know, what's amazing in, in a scientific study that I just made up, um, they're, the attribute you pick will align with how you're sort of naturally wired. You, you resonate with the thing that is already wired into you is, is kind of a natural attribute. So the fact that you're recognizing that in somebody else, maybe the exact place you need to start developing your own leadership framework. Wow. You just dropped a bomb right there. Um, so I would, as you asked the question, I just started thinking. Well, you mentioned Nick Saban. I I loved uh, Marvin Lewis, uh, who who coached the uh, Cincinnati Bengals for sixteen right. years. And one of the things that I loved about him, even when he was with uh, the Baltimore Ravens and they won all the Super Bowls, and is that he was more mostly even keel. He was organized. He kept things in bite sized pieces for his people. He was like, look. This is your job. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to do that job the best you can do it. And if everybody does their job, and I was like, man, that's so simple and right. it's so doable, right? So that, I, that's why I really like that guy. And I used to love listening to his press conferences. And so it's interesting. So now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that what resonates with that for me? Obviously, it's important to me about being organized, keeping things simple and, um, you know, not trying to do everybody else's job. I literally teach people about building a team. So, you know, so you guys can all work together. So, wow, that's really interesting. So, so people can literally 
look around at who they see as leaders and and be able to start identifying these traits that that they recognize and value. Yeah, they they can begin the work of creating that leadership framework or that vision of yeah. the leader they really want to be if they're yeah. going to commit to starting the journey on how to become a better leader. You know, this whole leadership thing if you've never done it before is a little bit like the 12 step program you have for step 1 is admit you got a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> And right. Same thing is true with leadership. If you say, you know, I don't think my team is operating as as well as I'd like it to. Their their turnover is high. Team performance is low. Uh, product quality is bad. You know, all those things that are indicators of a problem. Well, I'm going to go so far as to say a lot of times that starts with the guy at the top. You know. Um, those things, yeah. the bug stops there, right? Absolutely. So introspection Sorry, and yeah. say, all right, how can I make a difference? How can I change this? Yeah, absolutely. Sir, you, you just really hit me there because we're all listening. When we think of the difference between a manager and a leader, when we think of a leader, there's someone who's willing to, if whatever the problem is, whatever the issue, the challenge, they're going to look at themselves first. And that really differentiates a leader. They're going to look at themselves and go, what is my part to play in this? And and then start looking out from there and, and then be able to, to go um, to evaluate of each of the pieces. And I heard, um, oh, I can't remember who said this. They, they talked about if you could imagine an athlete trying to, when they're trying to prepare for uh, the next race, the next Olympics, they have to go through and evaluate their performance without judging character throughout that whole process. Just right. performance, performance, performance. Right. And uh, <clears throat> and because they can improve on those things and realize that the character is a, a different part of it. Whereas I think sometimes if I look at managers that I've had rather than leaders, they're immediately judging your character rather than, you know, how can we improve the performance? And uh, and they're always going to look at you rather than what their part to play is. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna want to assign blame for the poor performance. Yeah. They're going to look at the roster and say, well, you know, to you stay with the sports analogy, well, you dropped that yeah. ball in, in the fifth inning and, and that's why we lost. You know, shame right. on you. Right. Well, no. <laughs> so, so one of the things I think is important that you're identifying here is if for us as listeners, we need to be able to ask ourselves the question, do I look at myself first or do I immediately start looking at everybody else? And if you're a person, if you got guys, if you're listening right now, I think it's important for us to be able to, to realize one of the keys to being a leader is just being able to look at yourself. And as we continue to go through here with Doug, I, you know, I want to encourage you guys to ask yourself some of these questions um, first and and then be able to uh, look at the processes and the next the things that uh, Doug's going to reveal to us here. So, Doug, uh, help us a, a little bit more in terms of how to recognize, you know, that we need help first, that, that we need to uh, to be looking in the mirror. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So really, uh, step one in the process is is look in the mirror and and admit to yourself there is an opportunity. I, you know, I don't want to say it's a weakness or a failure, but let's let's say there is an opportunity to do more yeah. and be more. So and and that's true whether you're in a business or a family or a community where there's some expectations of you having some uh, leadership responsibilities. You've got to look at what the substance of that can be and, and what's your opportunity to make that better. And then um, the the next step has to do with trying to do an honest evaluation of exactly where you are. Right. And you can start with it, you know, asking yourself, is there any Thing I do right and and count those as strengths and say, okay, I got that. You know, maybe it might be I'm a I'm a reasonable communicator. You know, people seem to understand when I talk to them. So okay, well, that's in the checkbox, you know, plus column. Or I'm good with analytics or I'm good with, you know, whatever. You you can build a list of strengths, but then you got to start looking at okay, where are my gaps? Where are my weaknesses? Where are my opportunities to grow? somewhere. And at that point, you might need to get some outside input. You might need to ask for some 360 feedback from the people that know you best and yeah. try to 
convince them you want some honest feedback because you're trying to take that next step up. And so you need that constructive. And, and, you know, there's obviously tools out there you can subscribe to, to, to uh, more formally gather that feedback, but um, you can do it very informally as well. And by the way, don't use your golf buddies or your drinking buddies to give you that feedback unless they're very you, you've been blessed with a very unique opportunity. Those guys mm-hmm. are very real in what they talk to you about. You know, right. if they are real, yes, you can ask them that question. What am I really doing wrong? What do I really need help with? Yeah. Well, well let me, I'm, I'm curious now, you've learned these lessons. Uh, is that as a result of noticing these in yourself? Like, have you had, have you run into these problems or, oh, yeah. or did you just naturally oh, yeah. learn these things through your time in the military? And no, no, it, it, it definitely was my own growth trajectory. There, there are very significant milestones that I can point to in my life where yeah. I, I had some, you know, major learning to do. And, um, what I'll say just in context for the whole thing, I, I mentioned at the top that I'm a uh, only child of a single mom. Well, yeah. one huge blessing my mother bestowed on me was the wisdom to surround me with mentors as a young man. I had about wow. five different guys uh, in our community that came alongside and mentored me as a young man. So they kind of, they helped me shape, you know, what I needed to know about growing up as a young man. And, um, but it also ingrained in me the value and willingness to look for mentors. And to this day, I mean, uh, I'm actually going to be 69 in about 10 days. And, um, I still have mentors. Thank you. I still have mentors. I've got, I've got a group of guys I meet with on a regular basis. Uh, a couple of them are in their (laughs) nineties, but, but they're still mentoring. They're still giving. And, um, I still count that as part of my ongoing learning. Okay. Here's the question. Cause I know that there are people who are, who will look and they'll, they'll look at themselves and they'll think, I'm not really a leader. Is it possible for someone to learn, grow into being a leader? Like I want to be a leader, but I don't I don't think I have what it takes to to do that. Is that something that someone who's maybe not in a management position right now, they're not in a leadership position, but they they're trying to look down the road, is this something that I can do and be? That's a real interesting question. And I've dealt with a lot in my life. And I've, to be honest, I vacillated with my answer and opinion of that. But I'll tell you where, where my current is. And, I, and I've been in this position now for a long time in this, this thinking. The basic answer to your question is yes, I think you can learn to be a better leader. In, in a lot of great business schools that I'm aware of, they, they for decades have had raging debates about whether leaders are born or made, you know, nature versus nurture. And um, I have watched people go to the mat arguing that you can't teach leaders. Yeah. Um, you have to be born with it. My real world experience tells me that there is no doubt there are some people that are natural born leaders. And when I usually start coaching one of those guys, the immediate tip off for me is that that person usually inevitably, when they first start talking about leadership, they say, that's not me. They'll, they'll say, nope, not that's not who I am. But as we talk more and more about it, the reason they're saying no, it's not them is because it's such second nature. It, it's almost like breathing. They are just leading and it, they don't think about it. They don't, mm-hmm. um, they don't ever have to call it out, focus on it. They're just doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for those that don't have that ability, and that would be the equivalent of me trying to shoot a three-pointer, I do not have the gift to shoot three-point shots. Um, and there's probably no amount of coaching that's going to help me do that any <laughs> so you're a little bit more of a Shaquille O'Neal than uh than a Kobe Bryant uh, I'm probably more the water boy when it comes to basketball <laughs> but um you can be taught some of those skills you can refine things I mean you know i over the years, I was able to shave strokes off my golf game by getting some coaching. I wasn't a natural at it by any means, but with some coaching, I, I did make improvements, you know, and I got to where I liked my golf game. I, 
wasn't going to win a tournament, but I liked being able to do it the way I was doing it. Same thing can be true with the leadership, with coaching and training and some learning. You can be a better leader, plain and simple. Right. Yeah. You know, part of the, the reason that I have this podcast, Leadership to Wealth, is one of the things I recognized was when I got called out many years ago by actually it was my pastor at the time. And he and he said, um, I want you to think about sort of leading this group at at church. And I thought, uh, why? Why do you want me to do that? He's like, because you're a natural leader. And I thought, I have no idea what you're talking about. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then he started sharing these different He's like, you do this, you do that. You, nobody asked you to do that. You automatically jumped in on these things. And I was like, oh, really? And it actually took time for me. And, you know, if you guys are listening, I, I hope you can maybe look and see yourself. I, it took time for me to accept that title. I, I never, oh, wait, that, that was a piece of leadership that I... Um, you know, some people call it servant leadership or something like that, where, you know, okay, great, I can do that, but I don't need to, don't, don't put me up front. Uh, and then learning a different type of leadership where somebody needs to stand up in front of everybody and, uh, you know, um, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm the one at fault. Call me the one at fault or whatever. And, uh, and let's move this forward. And, yep. um, and so I think you're, you're even relaying some of my life to me in this. and. I believe wholeheartedly what you're talking in what you're talking about in you can learn and grow as a person if that's really something that you you want. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a business doing what I do if it wasn't true. I, I definitely yeah. have been able to help people find that change in in their effectiveness and their level of impact as a leader, whether it's in a, you know, a business, a nonprofit or community effort, it can be done. Yeah. So now you've worked with uh, a lot of really big companies and uh, taught companies like ExxonMobil, where people can't even imagine the a leadership structure in some of these businesses because they're so large what are some of the things that when you go in and you look around you like go oh absolutely i can help improve this culture i can help these managers what are some of the things that right off to you jump out and you're like oh yes we can make change here let's go yeah well, it, it all starts with the fundamental thing, just because they work for a global brand or they're part of a leadership team inside a global brand. And you mentioned Exxon and uh, I've worked with Coca-Cola and UPS and some of those other uh, big brands. The truth of the reality is we're still down to one-on-one -on -one people relationships. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the people that have worked their way up to be in the chain of command at those organizations are no different than you and I sitting right here right now. We, uh, we breathe the air around us. We, uh, you know, we eat the food around us. We put on our clothes basically the same way. Nothing much else is different. And so when you peel away the aura of the brand, uh, they are still dealing with the basic issues. I've got a team of people. I need to try to move this business from point A to point B. And um, you can complicate it with all of the technology and all of the jargon and all of the uh, vernacular that they might use. But when it, when it all comes down to it, you've got finite resources represented by the team that's sitting around your table. And what are you as a leader going to do with that team? So now, okay, with years, years and years of, first of all, leadership training and then teaching leadership. What would you say is your biggest failing as a leader right now that that you're working on? Oh, that's a, let's see. That's a great question. Um, I would tell you one of the biggest challenges I face, uh, and I just took on the responsibility. I'm I'm the sitting chairman of an organization in the greater Houston area that is an association of business advisors. It's essentially a volunteer organization, although by legal standing, we are a for-profit enterprise, yeah. um, but it operates like a nonprofit. And running a nonprofit is one of the hardest challenges I've ever experienced anywhere yeah. um, because you, 
your people are not getting paid. You have no leverage on their role and you have to really tap into the, um, well, I love the phrase, harness the power of your mind's attention and your heart's affection. If your mind's attention and heart's affection. So if in one of these quasi nonprofit or fully full blown nonprofit environments, that's all you got to work with is convincing people to use their intellect for the greater good of the organization and couple that with trying to get motivation from whatever their passions are, whatever their heart's desire is to be there in the first place. Mm. You got to work hard to connect those two together because you cannot just rely on one without the other. And as a leader, um, I'll confess it's it's easy to lose sight of that. You you kind of start going down the path of uh, maybe the intellectual side of it. Okay, guys, you've got all this experience. Let's get it on the table. Let's let's put a training course together. Let's put a package together. Let's mm-hmm. get a market offering together. You know, you start getting this pushback, and you have no real leverage other than at that point to come back and say, "Well, does this not line up with your passion?" And no, you know, why did you join? this organization in the first place didn't you say that's what you wanted to do right and and you kind of get into those sort of loops so it's a it's a big challenge yeah uh, i've i've had the privilege and the uh, pain of of sitting on uh, non non profits and not for profits so uh so i i understand what you're saying in terms of the difficulty there sometimes so let me ask as you're as you see this what is it for you that you're like okay this is something i have to be present to or pay attention to to be able to perform for and be the leader for these these people well yeah um you know being there in a likewise mode i mean i I don't get paid a dime to be the president of this outfit you know uh uh it's it's real easy to walk away from what might be a frustrating conversation and say why am i doing this so you know i don't need this i don't need this hassle i don't need this frustration (laughs) Um, I could, I could spend this two hours doing something with, uh, revenue producing activities, you know, why don't I go do that? Um, so I too have to kind of re-engage and challenge myself to, to my own level of mind's attention and heart's affection, you know, what am I really trying to accomplish here and kind of renew that vision. And, and that leads me to a, a real quick point. I'll try to slip in here real fast. And this, what I'm getting ready to say covers everything we're talking about here. It's vitally important for an individual who wants to be a leader to create their own vision of that leadership model they're trying to pursue. And they have to really crystallize their sense of purpose as a leader because that is your foundation. When the going gets tough and you start getting pushback and you start having difficulty executing on whatever your mission is, you have to fall back on that foundation. And if you don't have that, if you've not done the work to define that leadership vision of who you are and what you're about, you're going to flounder. You're, you're going to be left only able to react to things and you're not really going to respond to things. Yeah, that is, uh, th- that's really interesting. And one of the things that you just uh, brought up for me as you were sharing that is, again, this this conversation of nature versus nurture and being a leader. And, and uh, one of the things I just heard in that, in what you were sharing is that you have to bring yourself back and almost bring that out of people, uh, you know, the mind's attention and heart's affection. And, and I was just thinking in your military background, you know, how do you get someone to, uh, to care about jumping on a hand grenade? How do you get, how do you t- like, it's almost like, oh man, the, you're, this is almost the essence. You can't, as a leader, you can't always throw money at a problem. You, you literally have to be able to inspire people to make the decisions that they make uh, to, for the benefit of, of the organization. Well, you're right. And, and the focus, uh, at least through all of my military experience and the training we went through was the notion of 
teamwork versus the individual. Mm-hmm. You you had to train for and learn how to um, protect the person in the foxhole next to you. You know, you that that's what the training was all about. It wasn't about your own survival. It was about the people on each side. And, uh, you know, there's an interesting uh, example I can give without getting into too much of the details. In, in basic Army rifle squad training, when you have two teams and one team is laying down fire while the other team is trying to advance toward the objective. Well, while you're laying down that fire, you are not shooting in front of you, which you think would be the the thing you do because you're effectively protecting yourself. You're shooting at crossways. You're shooting, you've got a field of fire. You either shoot over here or shoot over there and you alternate. But with the other guys in the squad doing the same thing, you're laying down this blanket of fire uh, to the enemy. And that is a more effective way to do it. But as soon as you start shooting straight ahead, you've got a very narrow field of fire and you're not getting anything and everybody else is exposed. Right. I, and, um, I actually had a a guest on the show. His name was, uh, Alan Baker. He's, uh, martial arts, but he also teaches a lot with regards to, uh, firearms training and that. And I remember something that, uh, where he had kind of shared about uh, part part of your job in some of those scenarios, and you can perhaps speak more to this, was he said the benefit of, you know, uh, protecting the other person and doing that same thing, laying down some cover fire is that two are always better than one. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you could just care about yourself, but then, you know, you're, the other person might go down and now you're by yourself. And Pretty so soon you're going to be all alone. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's the, right. the huge importance of, of teamwork. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that this is, you started with this. You've got managers who are there and the employees are, they're quitting bad bosses. They're not, they're not leaving the organization. They're quitting the bad bosses. Right. Okay. Okay. So right now people are listening and they're thinking, all right, uh, all right, Doug, you got me. I, I need to improve. I can see some of these things. I've done my self-assessment. I can see some of these areas that I'm weak in, but do you have any idea how much work I have on my plate? How do I, uh, you know, uh, I know I need to be a better boss, but uh, if you had these people that I work with um, and and my bosses keep putting more and more work, how, you know, can you come in and talk to my bosses? Because there's no way for me to do this. I, like what you're saying just sounds it sounds nice, but I don't know how to make time for that. Yeah, well, I I think and, and by the way, everything you just said, I hear it all the time uh, uh, in all varying degrees. And uh, there's one more I'll add to your list there. It always and you probably heard this in church, too. You know, the, the, the pastor's laying down a real powerful sermon, but you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not me. That's the guy over here. That's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> Uh, thing is true yeah. here, you know, it's like, no, no, you know, not me, it's you. Um, and, and that's part of that awareness, that step one awareness of just saying, you know, forget all that. Okay. I know that I could probably do more for what I need to be about and how I'm going to do this. And um, if I can start making some change in the way I'm contributing to the, the effectiveness of this organization, you know, maybe some way, somehow my boss is going to get wind of it and figure it out and want to ask questions too. And um, I, I know that may sound very ethereal and, and pie in the sky kind of thinking, but I've, I've, I've watched it happen. I've watched it work. And again, you got to keep in mind, especially in these larger organizations, there's a, there's a power of legacy. However, they came up in the organization, they're going to model that same kind of behavior. And um, I'm, I'm thinking right now, and I don't want to name names, uh, but one, one executive I worked with who had... Um, very big responsibility for some heavy industrial style environments. He had six different sites that, you know, if something went wrong on the site, people literally could die. You know, there could be an accident. It's industrial um, manufacturing kind of thing. Um, And if there was an incident, you know, that site manager would have to call him and report it. And I asked him one day, I said, how does that phone call go? And he kind of hemmed and hawed. And I said, no, what, what do you typically, how do you typically respond when you get one of those calls? What do you say to the person? And he still kind of kept dodging the question. I said, look, 
stop. I know a little bit about heavy industrial and construction and things like that. I have a chapter of that in my own life too. I said, it's rough out there. You know, people speak in four letter words and I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's blunt, it's crude. It's, you know, I said, how do you talk to your guy? And he, he finally got sheepish and he grinned and he said, no, I chew his butt off pretty good. And I said, and how does that work for you? What really does that accomplish? And he thought a minute and he said, well, probably not much. And I said, more importantly, when you were that guy and calling the boss like you are now, I said, and the boss chewed you out. I said, what did that do for the situation? Was there any learning? Was there any development? He goes, no. And I said, then why are you doing it now? And he said, he thought a minute and he goes, I guess it's just tradition. And I said, yeah. And again, to what end? What good and what greater good does this serve? And he thought a minute and he said, damn, he said, you're right. I don't have to do that. And, and then three months later, I got a call from the HR director <laughs> and said, what have you done to my guy? And I said, what do you mean? Am I in trouble? And she said, no. She said, the six site managers can't believe the turnaround and the change in things. And she said, those six site managers are more motivated and more inspired than any of those guys have ever been. And we are so excited that we've got this going on now because that's exactly what we want this organization to be about. Yeah. Hey, can you come in and speak to uh, the rest of these managers over here? <laughs> Whatever you did there, Right. Clearly was work. That That's fantastic. And, um, you know, I think that is so true that oftentimes we can learn a certain way of leadership. I, you know, I don't know if you, do you have kids yourself? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I've got kids and uh, I remember I thought I knew everything when I started. And as you start to go along, you start realizing how little you really know. And I've got four kids. So that, you know, it got worse and worse and realizing, oh man, I really don't know a lot. Um, and, uh, and so because I got that feedback and they weren't allowed to just quit and leave, um, cause they're my kids. But I think oftentimes for, uh, you know, a lot of managers, they've just learned one way and there is so much insecurity or pain in pivoting and try, well, if I do this, then they're going to, you, you know, they won't respect me if I do that. And, right. and right. you hear these kind of sentiment and, uh, uh, and so it's important, I think, for people to be able to hear what you're sharing right now. No, you can, one, I think, be able to look in the mirror yourself and go, this is the kind of boss that I want to be. I may have learned it this way. This is who I want to be as a leader. And uh, which automatically makes your world a better place because you're in it. And then it uh, it's all you're also able to see the difference and the impact that it makes on on the people around you. At right. the end, end, of, end of the day, is there really another way to measure, you know, your satisfaction or, you know, you as a leader, to, other than to be able to look and, and ask that question, am I being who I want to be? Well, I, I think there's no greater reward and it does sometimes take some time, but no greater reward than to have somebody weeks, months, or years down the road show up very unannounced and very surprised and say, hey, I just want to say thank you for what you showed me and taught me back then. I'm, I'm to this day, I'm still doing that and it works and it's made my situation so much better. And, you know, thank you for giving me that. Um, I, I think that's, you know, the ultimate vote of confidence and vote of success. Having, you know, being able to see the impact, uh, over a period of time that, uh, you know, uh, your leadership has made. That's that's fantastic. I've got to come back to it because normally I would ask at the end, all right, so what's next for you, Doug? But we now already know what's next and we know <laughs> you're moving through it. How is people are recognizing right now that they want to engage, they want to um, really be able to be one of the 10,000? Um, how, do, how does someone do that? How do they recognize and maybe uh, work with you and, and have you work with them or their organization? Everything I've um, put together to offer to the market is on my uh, website, which is simply dougthorpe.com. Um, it talks a little bit about my background, some of the references and testimonials that are there by clients I've worked with in the past. But um, uh, a couple of fundamental options. I, I have a lot of content on the website, both with blog posts and my own podcast series. Uh, there, there's a lot of material you can start with there. Just, uh, you know, browse it for free. Uh, you can join a weekly newsletter, 
which the essence of that is I do publish new articles once a week and that'll come out in a newsletter form so you, you can get what's hot off the press. Um, I do, of course, provide one-on-one coaching for people, but I am also building a network of roundtables where it's a peer-to-peer advisory, a mastermind um, kind of setting. Uh, those roundtables meet monthly and mm-hmm. Um, what I try to do in organizing those is, is put people with some similar interest or similar level of responsibility where it is a, a good bona fide peer-to-peer sharing. Um, we don't try to compete on industries or product function, try to keep it separated enough that way, but um, that's a that's a way to come together. And I am working on, it's not quite ready yet, but I am putting together a subscription-based service that is a uh, focused training on this whole idea of how to be a better boss with a more programmatic outline of steps and training. Um, I hope to have that online next month and um, that'll be available either, you know, on a monthly subscription or annual basis. Okay. So let me just ask this question. If someone sees that they want to, uh, they need to work on, on themselves as a manager, as a leader in their organization, the number one thing that they need to do is go to dougthorpe.com right. and, and they'll find all your They'll find all the choices and all the options and all the <laughs> ideas on what they can do. But, so uh, guys, you heard that. We're going to keep it simple. Go uh, to uh, dougthorpe.com and uh, check that out. Check out his website. There's lots and lots of options and there is something to be said about a lifetime's worth of of experience, a lifetime's worth of wisdom. And there's no shortcut to to real growth, to lasting change. I, I know that everybody likes to give you the, the quick two minute and, uh, you know, just do this and everything will be great. But I, I think what you're really sharing with us is, A, we've got to be able to take that look and look within and then be able to start doing some sort of assessment, some sort of audit. And then from there, be able to uh, start addressing it. Uh, and anything else that you want to say on this topic, Doug? Well, I'll just uh, add to what you're saying there. The concept of a phrase I use a lot and I hear a lot is the notion that what got you here won't get you there. So e- even if you do this work and you become successful at whatever managerial level you, you're in right now, if that earns you a promotion, you're quickly going to find that odds are exactly the steps and the task you use to earn that promotion are not necessarily the right things to make that promotion work and get you yet again to another level. So it is a constant journey of learning and expansion and Mm. lifting the lid, as John Maxwell calls it, you got to lift the lid of leadership capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Great book, by the way. (laughs) So, um, I'm a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Doug, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you uh, You taking the time and uh, and just really sharing with us even some of your own struggles. Uh, For those of you that are on that board with him, um, stop being a pain in his behind. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I know there's so many people that are going through these spaces in life. And oftentimes, I know that people don't aspire to be leaders because of those examples that they see and they think, well, if that's what it means, I don't want that. And I think you're really showing that there's so much more opportunity out there and available if that's something you don't have to be what you've always seen. And uh, you can be a leader in your own life. That's right. Doug, thank you so much. All right, Neil. Thank you. All right. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time on Leadership to Wealth Podcast.